The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. This episode is a follow-up to the previous one on selling at art shows in 2018. And I wanted to go over some of the things we talked about, specifically the concept of feeling naked, which is something that we heard from an artist at a show this spring who told us that uh, when it came to selling and talking to customers and handling objections and just dealing with uh, being in front of the public, he felt naked. And I think we should start by talking about what it means to each of us to feel naked and whether or not we have felt that way before. To me, what it means is that he doesn't have the tools or the knowledge of how to handle the situations that are thrown at him all day long at the show. (laughs) Right. I think that's the general idea. Yes, he's just not ready. He's not prepared. He doesn't have the training. Right. He doesn't have the skills. Right. And we talked about boxing last time. And if you were in a situation where as a boxer you feel naked, what it means is walking into the ring completely unprepared and uh, ready to be knocked out, basically. I also think it means answering questions or taking everything on an emotional level, an amateur level, as opposed to a professional level. Because you don't have the tools or the skills to handle these questions. Yeah, I think we should talk about skills and not tools because there's not really any tools involved here. Right. He had a nice display, he had nice work, he had uh, everything he needed as far it's as It's really the skills. It's his skills, yeah. There's right. no skills. And I looked up uh, feeling naked on the internet just out of curiosity. Oh, and there's you? very little, actually. You know, there is a lot of ridiculous things, but there's very little in regards to what we talk about selling or being in front of the public. Right. But the few things that I found were interesting. It said that you feel vulnerable and exposed. And I think that's the crux of it. Feeling extremely vulnerable, exposed to whatever people are going to throw at you, unable to answer any questions because you just don't know how to answer the questions. And also taking questions as almost being bad news. Because if you don't know what to say and somebody has a question to which you don't have the answer, you're probably thinking, oh my, what do I do now? Right. I mean, how do I answer that? Because I was asking him things that are very simple, you know, like uh, what kind of paper is imprinted on. And he kept giving me these very complicated answers. Well, I use several different papers. You have to understand uh, every photo has a different requirement. Uh, Some will print better on this and that. Okay, I mean, I'm good with all of that, but what kind of paper are you using? Right. (laughs) Eventually, he would give me a name and... Of course, then he would say, well, this one is printed on premium luster, but then really I considered using this other paper. And then look at that one here. Now that one is printed on honeymoon photo rag, or this one is on uh, Verita. Okay, I just want a straight answer. You know, this image is printed on honeymoon photo rag. I'm good enough. Right. I also think that it creates stress. And possibly fear, the fear of being asked questions that you don't know how to answer. Oh, fear is definitely part of it. Absolutely. But then fear is always there. Yes, uh, it is. The real issue with fear is not to think, I'm going to get rid of it. You can't. If it comes up, it comes up. The real issue with fear is to know how to manage it. Right. So that you're prepared to deal with it if it comes up. And the other issue is that you really don't want to be afraid. You want to be concerned. You want to be ready to do whatever it takes that you have to do, but you don't want to be controlled by fear. Right. But if you don't have the skills to counter objections or to answer questions, then this is where the real problem comes in. Yeah, and I think you're right. The two main issues at stake here are being able to answer questions and being able to handle objections. And both of them, in terms of sales, are good news. Yes. When a customer has a question, it's an opportunity to get them involved in the buying process. And when a customer has an objection, what it means is that they are interested in your product. Oh, yes. This gives you the perfect opportunity to talk about your artwork, your product, what it is you're selling. I mean, this is good news. And mainly with objections, if a customer is not interested in your product... Why would they object to buying it? 
Right. All we have to do is say, I'm not interested, <laughs> you know. Yeah, or just walk out. Yeah. I mean, if you sell fine art and you talk to a customer and you ask them if they're interested in investing in some of your artwork and they look at you and they say, you know, I would, but I don't have any room on my walls. That's the perfect opportunity to talk about what they have on their walls. It is. And obviously, if the person did not like your work at all, if it was something they would never put on their walls, never hang in their house, they'd look at you and say, not interested. Right. I'm not buying fine art photographs. I'm not buying landscapes. I only buy all your paintings of uh, abstract images, <laughs> for example. And they don't even have to say that magic can just walk away. Why would you walk into, if you put that in a different situation, let's say a furniture store, and look at furniture and have a salesperson come to you and say, well, what kind of furniture are you looking for today? And you saying, I don't need any furniture. My house is full. Right. They, they'd probably look at you and say, well, I understand, but furniture is not something that you keep all your life. You have, at some point, to update your environment, to change your furniture, to bring up something new and fresh and more fashion-like and more up-to-date with the times. And for that reason, why don't you take a look around and see if there is something in there that you can replace your current furniture with? That would be a good salesperson. Right. Because obviously, unless you're lost, why would you go into a furniture store if you don't need furniture? What people that have objections do is they try to defuse the selling process. They try to put an end to it. They don't like the idea of having to make decisions. They don't like the idea of being pushed around, asked whether they want to buy something or not. And for that reason, they try to create a hurdle to the selling process. Right. But it's not because they're not interested in buying. No, not at all. If you know how to handle objections well, they are the key to making sales, to closing sales. Yes. So what it means, if you don't know how to handle it, is that you have not learned how to sell. You have no training, no skills in salesmanship. And I think that that would definitely make you feel naked. It will. Because if you go back and you think about us when we started, and a customer would come to us and say, is this done in Photoshop at the very beginning? Oh, I yes. had no idea how to answer that. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, we all use Photoshop, you know, because now that's the way it works. You know, it used to be darkroom, now it's digital darkroom. And they'd look at me and say, yeah, but is it manipulated? And we had no way to answer that either. No. We did not know what to do in no. the very beginning. I mean, this is, of course, back in 1995. Oh, yes. And what about the people that came in with loops? I can see pixelization yeah. here. Or I can just see pixels. You know, I can I see can dots. See, of yes, ink. I can this see is dots not a chemical. Ink, yes. This is not a chemical print, that's an inkjet print. And right. we're like, uh, yeah. Now the situation is completely different. It is. If somebody comes to me and says, is this done in Photoshop? My answer is, yes, sir. And if they say, is that manipulated? My answer is, of course it's manipulated. That's what my work is all about. And I guarantee that if it's not manipulated, you can get a full refund. And I don't <laughs> like to refund customers' purchases. No. <laughs> For that reason, everything is guaranteed to be manipulated. And then live with it. If they look at you and say, great, I like manipulated images, well, which one are you going to buy? If they say, I don't want any manipulated images, I don't like it, well, then you need to go look for an artist who doesn't manipulate. <laughs> because here, we manipulate. Yes. And does it make any difference in terms of sales? No, it doesn't. Because either people like your work or they don't like your work. What they are doing is they're asking questions to be more informed about what you do. Most likely, they've already figured out the answer. Right. They are smart. You know, they can tell. They know the answer before they even ask you. Most likely. I mean, if you see a photograph with extremely saturated colors, there's no way you can get that straight out of the camera. So something was done to it. We just want to know where you stand, you know, what kind of person you are. They may just want to find out if you're straightforward or not. And you don't have to answer all of these questions. You don't have to know exactly why you're asking it. But I think you have to know that you've got to give a straight answer and a quick answer. Right. And the most important part is what you do after you answer that question. And the most important is to immediately ask a question. Yes, and I think if you feel exposed, you also do not know what questions to ask to take control of the conversation, and you're at a loss. So this is another reason why you feel this way. That's a very good point, because feeling exposed, or in this case even worse than that, feeling naked, means that he's not in control at all. I made a list, actually, of things that 
will put you in control, that will make you feel not naked. Because we can ask ourselves, what does it feel like to feel naked? But we can also ask ourselves, what does it feel to not feel naked? How do you not feel naked? Right, right exactly. Well, one of the things is that you are taking control of the situation. You're taking control of your destiny as opposed to being on the receiving end and feeling that customers are in control. Yes. They are not in control. No matter how much we'd like to be, they are not in control. You are in control. You have to be. Because if you're not in control of your business, then who is? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Because it's a business. I mean, he's doing this as a business. He wants to make money. He wants to earn a living at this he has to take control. Right. What about people that are going to try to negotiate? What is he going to do? If he feels totally naked, is he going to look at them and say, oh, okay. Or is he going to get ticked off and become pleasant, you know, right, right. angry? Well, at the same show, what was also interesting is we were talking to another artist. He had very little experience or no experience selling. And while we're talking to him, another artist from across was calling him and asking him, are you okay? Are these customers bugging you? Yeah. Do you yeah. want to talk to them? Yeah. Are you sure? And it, yes. And it was uh, one of the artists that had been doing this show for a number of years, but it was just really interesting that uh, now that cell phones are <laughs> here... That is another way of monitoring how the artists are doing. Do you need help? Do you need me to come over there? Yeah, it's just something new as far as distractions, interruptions. Right. But as a professional, you have to cut them off. Oh, yes, definitely. And a very good rule for any artist is to not answer their cell phone when they're in the midst of talking to a customer. It doesn't matter who's calling. That's true. If there's nothing that important that you can't handle it a few minutes later. Oh, yes. And if you want to make a sale, it's known to all professional salespeople that the customer wants to feel like they are the most important part in your life while you make the sale to them. They want to have their 15 minutes of fame. Right. And that's what's going on. And the last thing they want is that you answer the phone and make it clear to them that that call, whatever it is, even if it's a solicitation call, you're going to think that that's more important than talking to them. I mean, you're going to blow the sale. You are. A lot of customers will walk right out of it, and I might be one of them. I don't like it. I was thinking I probably would walk out too because I want your undivided attention. And it's unprofessional. It if is. you were buying something from a professional salesperson, they would never do that. Yes. A lot of them may not even be able to carry their cell phones. The stores may not allow it. I mean, at Vuitton, they do have their cell phones because they check on products for you, you know, on the cell phone. They do. But they don't answer personal calls. They are not talking about what they're going to have for dinner in the middle of a cell. No, they are not. So what it means is that they have very good training. And that's a major difference with the artists that we talk about. And the majority of artists at art shows, for that matter, they don't have any training. All the training they have is not very good. It's very superficial. And very often, the training is also negative in the sense that they are talking to other artists and they are relaying to each other negative stories about selling, negative stories about customers. Yes. This customer came in and I wanted $2,000 and he wanted to pay me only 500 I mean, can you believe this? And I shipped it to them and it broke and they called and they were very unpleasant. Well, any of these things can happen and will happen, but you can't take that as a good experience of selling that's going to make you confident to sell. Yes. If you have in the back of your mind a negative experience of selling or buying, for that matter, whether you were a customer and you had a bad salesperson or whether you were a seller and you had a demanding customer, you can't use these as a point of reference. You have to put as a point of reference a positive selling experience. Yes. Because then you're putting into your mind the belief that this sale that you're conducting right now with a new customer is going to be a positive experience. Oh, yes. If you think of a negative outcome, you're going to get a negative outcome. You are. <laughs> you have to be confident, you have to be positive, and you have to think positive. Yes. That, that's essential. And you can make it so enjoyable for the customer. Well, the more enjoyable it is, the more they are going to spend. They are. And the more they're going to love your work. Yeah. I mean, people yes. buy for a reason. It's not because they need artwork. Nobody needs artwork. It's a want. 
they buy because they want an enjoyable experience. Yes. Maybe they had a hard day at work and they went to a shop or an art show and they have decided that they are make a purchase to make themselves feel better. Yes. Well, you're the one that's going to make that happen or not. And if you don't make it happen, they'll probably buy from another artist. <laughs> so you have to have confidence. And I think part of the issue with feeling naked is that you have no confidence whatsoever. I agree. You're not sure what you're going to do if anybody comes in and does more than say, I want it. (laughs) Yes, you don't have the self-assurance because you don't have the skills. And the experience. That's true. Experience is very important. Not only is there no skills, but there's no practice. They come up to the show having done a very nice display. I think that was clear from his display. It was very nice. Very nice work. Presentation is excellent. He's got all the brochures, the business cards. You know, it looks good. Yes. But then when it comes to skills, there's nothing. And when it comes to experience and training and practice, there's nothing. Right. It's just not there. It's almost like if you had actually a display that wasn't that great, if you did not have the brochures, no business cards, if you did not have uh, even the work as high quality as he did, but he had the salesmanship technique, he had the skills, he had the training, he had the practice, he would do much better. Oh, yes. I agree. All he has to do is lower the prices to match the quality of his work and he'll be fine. Because a good salesperson doesn't need a product that is over the top. They can compensate for whatever problem the product has, first by pricing it correctly and second by knowing how to handle the sale. Right. I can only imagine what would have happened if I had asked him about his warranties. What do you think would have happened? I mean, he couldn't answer questions about the kind of paper he uses. I don't know. He may have asked you, what do you mean, warranties? I'm not sure. I'm wondering if you would not have said, you know, I don't see what can go wrong, which is the worst possible answer. Right. A lot of artists are overconfident in the perfection of their work. And when you mention the word warranty, they think that it's because something in their work is not right. You know, like the print has dust in it or... Something like that. Right, so they think negatively. It's a negative. They think that you're basically saying you're not a good artist. You did not do this right. You did not dust the original. You have a wrinkle in your print. You maybe have bending. You know, the mat is not cut properly. But that's not warranties apply to. No. Warranties apply to the fact that you may go home and decide you don't like it. Right. And what are you going to do? Be stuck with it for the rest of your life? I mean, who wants that? Right. In art, it's very uncommon that somebody returns a piece because they don't like it, because they have a lot of time while they talk to you to decide whether that's the one they want or not. Right, because while they're talking to you, they're deciding in their yeah. mind yeah. whether or not they're going to buy a piece and which one. All of this they're thinking about while they're interacting with you. Exactly. However, there can be a little bit of nervousness or insecurity on their part about the fact that, what if I go home and I show it to my husband or wife and they look at it and they're like, no, this is never going to be in my house. What do I do then? Well, you have to look at them and say, not a problem. You just return it. We'll give you all your money back and nothing personal. (laughs) Not an issue. Right. And then look at them and say, so how do you want to pay for it? Credit card, a check, uh, gold coins. <laughs> because eventually they are not going to return it. But they have that question. You've got to answer it. And it has to be a positive answer. And you don't want to show that you're defensive. Because the minute you show that you're defensive, they are thinking, hmm, if something goes wrong, I'm stuck with it. Right. There's nothing I can do. So you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to my husband or wife. I'm going to make 100% sure that I really want it. Then I'll come back. And you know what's going to happen? it will never be sold to them. They'll never come back. It's too complicated. Right. Maybe they had a very hard time making it to that show because of their busy schedule. The probabilities that they make it again are nil. And what if they decide that after all, they can't live with that. They want a warranty. Right. Then you're screwed. Right. And I think it's all about being professional as well. Because I remember we went to a gallery in Las Vegas. I don't want to say the uh, photographer's name. And we asked a question about the warranties in regards to the plexiglass. What if we scratch it or what if it gets scratched? And the response was, well, unless you have a kid that's going to take a hammer to it, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And it was such a turnoff to hear that as a response to a concern that you have 
because I wanted to know what is the durability of that plexiglass? Does it scratch easily? Does it not scratch easily? How do you clean it? It didn't address any of those concerns whatsoever. It was a turnoff for me. I think what he was saying is my work is done to the highest standards. And unless exactly like you said, you take a hammer to it, nothing will ever happen. Right. But, but it's not a professional answer. And it sure did not alleviate our concerns. No. Because we still have the concern. Plexiglass can be scratched. And if it's scratched, what do we do? And I asked him that. And his answer was, well, if you do scratch it, whatever reason, however you scratch it, hopefully you don't have it insured for the full value and you can collect the insurance money. That was his answer. Oh, yes. Okay, I don't want that. I want you to repair it. I want an answer that is satisfying. First of all, even if I insure it, how do I know that the insurance is going to pay me back? They might look at me and say, you know what? Did you do that yourself? Well, yeah, not intentionally, but it did happen with my two hands. Say, well, we're not covering that. Right. You're covered against fire, theft, uh, earthquakes, flooding. Or, not falling uh, for off the wall because you didn't hang it not properly. Not you taking a nail and scratching it. Right. <laughs> you know? right. But in any case, that's a negative answer. Right. And all you have to do is say, well, you know what? First of all, that's a very uncommon occurrence. I don't have anybody so far that has that happened. But if it does happen, won't replace it for the cost value of the piece. That is not the retail price, but the cost of production. Exactly. That's what most people do. I mean, if somebody calls me and says, Alan, I bought some of your work, or, and uh, you know, we had a party, and somebody threw a martini on it, and the ink run, and it's all wasted, what can you do? I'll charge them the cost of production plus shipping. Right. You know, if it's a $1,000 piece, I might tell them it's $200 to replace it. Fair enough. Oh, yes. Usually 10%, 20% is the cost of replacement. I agree. And we're done. And it's nice Am to Am I going to reframe it for him? Well, no, I'm not going to reframe it because I don't want him to ship me that piece back. I'm just going to ship them a new print and they can take it to a framer and take care of it. Right. But, you know, obviously the frame is not damaged. Well, if the whole piece is damaged, then that's different. We can reframe it and remat it and ship them a completely new piece, but then it'd be a higher price. Right. But it's available. All you have to do is give a solution. Because yes. what the customer wants is a solution to a problem that most likely is never going to happen. Right. It's just this fear that we have of not knowing. If the piece is damaged, what am I going to do? Well, it's fat. That's definitely one of the reasons. But there's another reason, which is much more important in my mind, and that you don't think about unless you're a trans salesperson. And that other reason is that as people are trying to make a decision about buying something or not, right. they Look at say that. all sorts of things just to give themselves time to think. Right. That are a little off the wall. They can be off the wall right. or they can be serious. There's no way telling. It depends on the person. It may not be a real concern is what you're saying. They just, want, may... to they just want to cut themselves a break. Right. And I do it too when I buy things. Mm -hmm. I might ask, where is that made? And they have to look under the thing and find a sticker somewhere that says where it's made. And while they're doing all of that, I'm thinking, hmm, okay, so this is $200. Right. Um, I've seen another one going. at 150 but it wasn't the same. I like this one better. Do I want this one or do I want the other one or do I want to come back? I, mean, I don't really care about right. the answer. You're just cutting yourself a break. You're creating a little bit of time during which you can think. Because obviously you have this person in front of you and they are waiting for you to make a decision and you don't know what to do. Of course, a much better solution on the part of the customer is to say, okay, I need some time to think. Would you please give me 10, 15, 20 minutes? I'm just going to walk around. When I make a decision, I'll come back and tell you what I want to do. That's what I would do at this point. Yes. But I'm a trend buyer. I'm also a trend salesperson. I know that I don't have to BS the salesperson to have time to think about it. I'm able to walk away without being insulting, without wasting their time. People like me are rare. Most people are not going to look at you and say, I need 10 minutes to think about that. They are going to start asking question after question after question. To the point where sometimes with some customers, I have to look at them after I answer all their questions and say, okay, so now that we've handled all of these little questions, which are important, I understand, what do you want to do? You want to take it with you? You want to ship it? Let me know. Tell me. Because you want right. to come to a point where, okay, I think we covered the subject. Right. You know, you and had so time we're going to go think, back. Yeah, you had time to think. You had time to ask all your questions. If you have more, go ahead and ask. But otherwise, it's time to make a decision. Yes. You know? Because they are not going to make a decision unless you ask them to make a decision. That's the problem with uh, customers for the most part. They can't make decisions. They need help. 
And it's what I always tell students when we study marketing and salesmanship with us. If you make a sale to somebody that comes to you and says, that's the one for me, and they have their money in their hand and they pay you and they leave, they don't even want a shopping bag, you have made a sale to 10% of the potential customers. The other 90%, you're going to have to work for it. <laughs> I agree, yes. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to work for it very hard. Yeah. You remember what the answer is for the most part from students when I mentioned that? And I asked them, how many of these 10% have you made? How many of the 90% have you made? Do you remember the answer? No. They say, I've never sold to anybody that had these questions. Every one of my sales was to people that came to me and said, I love it, I'll buy it, here's my money. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I was trying to remember who the person... It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's yeah. all of them for the yeah. most part. Yeah. They We've didn't have to work at selling it. Yeah. And right. they're like, I'm not selling much. Well, you're selling 10% of what you could be selling. The other 90%, you're going to have to work at it. And if you haven't, and if you don't in the future, yeah, it's going to continue I think one being of them, that, that was the only sales that they had. They didn't have any that they had to work for. Yeah. Well, when I started, those were the only sales that I had. Right. <laughs> I'd look at people, and they'd look at my work, and they'd look at me, and they'd walk away. And then a few would come and say, I really love it. I'll buy it. Oh, great. Uh, oh. There it is. Right. Then we got up and started moving and started working. Then you're thinking, hmm, I'm doing well. And then you're waiting and waiting, and nobody else comes up. You know? Right. That's because you think that the reason why people buy is because they love your work. That's not why people buy. No. <laughs> if uh, the belief is people are going to buy my work because it's beautiful and they are going to fall in love with it and they just can't control themselves or they're going to have to take it home, you're going to make 10% of the sales that you can make. Yes. All of the others are made by working, knowing how to answer questions, knowing how to handle objections, not feeling naked. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic. It is. What else did you did you have some things on your list? Well, in regards, one of to... the things that I wrote down about feeling naked is that you develop a fear of customers. You do. When I you're agree. in that situation, yeah. when you feel that way, when you feel totally exposed, vulnerable, you look at customers as being the enemy, the cause of bad news. Right. Who knows what the next one is going to throw at me? It's a little bit like being in the ring and. You have no training, you step in, you get knocked out. The next fight, if you have no more training and no more skills, you're thinking, oh, God, am I going to be knocked out in the first 10 seconds? Is it going to take a minute? Is it going to take two rounds? I mean, what's going to happen? And you're afraid. Right. And the minute you're afraid, you're doing all the things you need to protect yourself. That's the mechanism. Or if that's not your line of action, you're going to do things in exaggeration. That is, you're going to compensate by overdoing it. And we see both lines of action from artists, the ones that are so afraid of customers that they won't talk to them. They withdraw. They're like in the back or behind their displays where you can't really see them or interact with them or talk to them. Well, they used to read books. Now they are on their right. cell phone playing on a game or just texting their friends or being on Facebook and their head is down and they're looking at their cell phones, so they're obviously not there to communicate with you. That's one extreme. The other extreme are artists that come to the customer and basically try to force the sale on them. Which one are you going to get? Well, I'm not sure. I need to look around. I say, well, yeah, but I have 20% off today, so you know, need to make your mind real quick because I'm not going to be there all day, and then there's only most of them already sold. Okay, I don't need any of this. Right. <laughs> Give me a break. Let me look at your work, and I'm a big boy. I can make up my own mind, and people walk away. Yes. Because they are not able to actually handle the sale properly. There's no process. There's no skills. They can't take it from ABC, so they go straight for the close. Well, nobody goes straight for the close. Right. <laughs> you know, no. That's the used car salesman approach. You walk onto a car lot, used car lot, or even sometimes a new car lot if it's a low-priced brand, a salesperson comes to you and says, I can put you in a car right now today. Which one would it be? And you're like, I'm not sure how much I can spend. I'm not sure which car I want. He said, well, we finance. It's not a problem. We can have payments as low as $200 a month. Any car, just point to one. We'll jump in, get the test drive, and then we'll just narrow down the price so it fits you. Which car do you want? Right. And that kind of experience, which is very negative because you're totally pushed beyond uh, your boundaries, is something that people take with them. If you have been subject to that kind of experience, the next time you go into a selling or buying environment, you think, oh, God, I hope that doesn't happen again. 
Right, I agree. I mean, it happened to me when I bought the Nissan truck, the very first one, new, where I had a car that was completely falling apart. I had to buy a new car because I had got a warning ticket that I had to replace the engine, and I was not going to replace the engine. <laughs> it smoked so much, you know. I had to put in a new engine, so I decided to buy a new car. And I went on to ABC Nissan in Phoenix, and I w- walked in, and the guy told me, he said, uh, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm here to buy a new vehicle. And he said, well, first thing I do is I need your driver's license, your title, and your proof of insurance. And I said, for what? He says, to give you a price. Wow. <laughs> because that's how we work. If you don't give me all of that, <laughs> then I can't give you a price. And I was completely dumbfounded. And I had no choice because I had just got these warnings. And if I did not replace the engine or fix the problem within five days, I couldn't be on the road anymore. So I forked it all over. Right. And from then on, I had no negotiating power. Because he wouldn't give it back to me. You had no control. I I was completely out of control. Of course, now I'd look at him and say, okay, this is how it's going to work out. You don't want to give me a price? Fine. But you're not going to get my driver's license, my credit card, and my proof of insurance and title ever. Right. Until you and I make actually a deal and we agree on a price. (laughs) This is how it's going to work out. You know, eventually I actually had to go back three times over the course of a week to that dealership. And I was able to actually get a price that was reasonable, buy the vehicle. But it took me five days. Yes, you were, it yeah. took you several days so, of negotiating. And at the end, they were looking at me saying, oh, you know, he's the tough guy again. Well, yeah, because I wouldn't bend over backwards to please them. You know, I did not agree to their ridiculous terms because they wanted to charge me for all sorts of things. And I did not buy anything except the vehicle. But uh, I remember the second time that we bought, uh, or the first time we bought a luxury car, you know, the Porsche where we walked into the dealership, and uh, somebody came up and said, can I help you? And I said, yes. And he says, what car are you interested? And I said, well, this one over there. And then I told him, uh, do you want my title, my registration, proof of insurance, and credit card? And he looked at us, and he's like, no, why would I want that? I said, well, that's because... The last time I bought a car, they wanted all of that. Right. <laughs> you know? So you carry that negative experience you with do. you. You do. And I think he said to you, we don't do that here. <laughs> I think that was the response. We don't do that here. Well, he also said something else. He said, in a luxury car environment, we expect the customer to come back several times before they make a purchase. Yes. To not buy on their first visit. Yes. And that totally shocked me because every other dealer that I had gone to, for, of course, lower-priced cars, expected you to make a decision on the first visit. Right. As a matter of fact, it's so bad that when we quote you a price on your first visit, you better have it in writing, you better have them sign it and put it on letterhead and everything, because the next time, it's higher. Oh, yes. I mean, when we bought the second truck, we got a very good price the first time we walked in. And I told him, I said, well, I want it in writing because I don't have the ability to remember numbers. I I was obviously lying. But I thought, if I tell him that, that's going to give him a reason to put it down. And he did. And when we came back with that piece of paper in hand, and we actually were quoted a higher price, we showed it to him. Well, first of all, it was not the same salesperson. He was not there. He was not there anymore. I I mean, how can he disappear within a day, right? But he wasn't there anymore. We had to give him that piece of paper. And uh, they wanted to make a Xerox copy. And in the process of making a Xerox copy, the copy disappeared. Yes. And I told him, it's not a problem. I have my own copy at home. Right. Because I had made a copy. Because right. I, I started thinking, you know, these people They're are They're not going to give me that yeah, piece of paper There's something very, very fishy going on. Here. Right. You know, the salesperson disappear, quotes vanish, uh, price increase. It's too much for me. And eventually we talked, I think, to the boss, you know, the guy who run the dealership. And I told him, I said, you know, this is what I'm willing to pay here. And I'm going to write a check. And I have transferred enough money to pay this. I don't have any more. And he actually agreed. You know? Yes. He told me, he says, you know, we never have this here. Nobody pays cash. I'm like, oh, there's a first for everything. You know, now, do you take money? <laughs> you know? And he actually uh, took the check. He was so shocked that he actually forgot to write uh, a contract uh, with a credit payment. Yes. Because usually when you write a check, because it doesn't clear right away, they also have you sign a credit agreement, yes. a credit payment agreement. Right. And he forgot. And I reminded him of that because by then we had actually bought several other cars, one of them being the Porsche. And they had me sign that. He said that he was so confused he forgot or something like that. Yes, he did. (laughs) He was like, oh, God, I forgot. And I told him, well, if you want to do it, I'm good. You know, just fork over the paper. I'll sign it. I don't care. I'll sign anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I think what you have to keep in mind is that on the part of a salesperson, you are dealing with customers that have had these negative experiences. Yes. And they are looking at you and they are thinking, is that the way it's going to go here? And so if they ask you a question like, what is your warranty? And you answer in a very vague manner, it does not give them confidence. It no. makes them feel, oh God, I think that's going to be that again. But if you look at them and you say, yeah, if you don't like it or if anything happens to it, just return it. Won't refund your money, no questions asked, uh, not a problem. Here's my contact information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just call me, email me, right. fax me, uh, Facebook me, whatever you want. You know, right. I'm here. I'm not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Sometimes exactly. I tell them, sometimes they ask you that. They say, how do I know that if I come back tomorrow, you'll still be there? <laughs> so I tell them, I say, well, I've been doing this for 25 years and I think I'm here for one more day. You know? <laughs> right. I have no other means of income. Right. Sometimes I tell them, right. I say, you know, so if I don't sell art, I think I'm just going to die of starvation. So I think I'll be back, you know. And I also tell them, you know, I understand that some artists do this on the weekend and they're here today, gone tomorrow. But this is not what we are dealing with here. We are here for the long run. We are serious. We've done this for 25 years. We have thousands, if not millions of customers. You know what? Buy with confidence. They want you to say that. Yes. They want you to say that. And what difference does it make? They are never going to return anything, but now they are happy, they feel good, and they are ready for you to close the deal and say, okay, so that's the one you're going to take home with you. Let me just ask you this question. Do you want to have it shipped to you, or should I wrap it and uh, you take it under your arm? <laughs> you know? Right. And that's it. You know. Any other things that we can talk about? All of these discussions, to, to me, shows the importance of psychology in sales. And that's often a very much overlooked subject. People, when we talk about marketing, salesmanship, they want to know how to get into an art show. They want to know how to get into a gallery. They never think that once you are accepted, you still have to sell. Yes. And it's not just the quality of your work. It's not just the quality of your display. It's not just the fact that you have business cards brochures, pricing, tags, all of that. It's essentially about your own personal skills, how you're going to handle the selling process. A very difficult subject is, for example, making a successful pitch to a customer and then seeing them walk away. You, you yes. feel like a loser. Yes. And for that matter, you have lost the sale. And it's very much like a boxer in the ring that goes prepared. You know, this time they have trained, they have the skills. They encounter an opponent that is very difficult, very challenging, and they get knocked out or they lose on points. Well, what do you do, right? Well, what you do is you remind yourself that you're not a loser unless you quit. Right. If you come back the next time and you think, you know what, at some point, you're going to encounter a difficult situation. You can't close every sale. You can't beat every opponent. You can't win all the time. But this is not because I'm a bad salesperson. This is just because this was a situation that I couldn't win. I did everything I could, but I couldn't win. I couldn't close that sale. I'm okay. Let's just go back, and it's going to be better this time. Yes. You have to have that mentality. You do. You are not a loser until you quit. That's Unfortunately, true. some people quit. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that happen with students. We have. And sometimes we don't know why, but we suddenly notice that all of a sudden there's no more website, there's no more Facebook page, there's no more blog. They disappeared from the face of the earth as far as their photography is concerned. Right. And uh, if they did art shows, it's very often because they had a very bad experience at an art show and it got to them, they got discouraged and they decided to quit. That's true. Yeah. We've seen several people yeah. just totally either sell the, all of their camera gear or just put it down and stop photography completely. Yeah. It's, I think it's sad, but it does happen. Well, sad or not, it's not really important to put an adjective on it. It's important for them to understand that they did not get the proper counseling. Right. That's what I think it is. Yes. They did not go to somebody else in that situation and say, listen, I got this problem. What do I do? Right. Because I would tell myself, you're not the first one that had a bad show. Right. <laughs> we all have. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, right. in sales, you can't close every sale. No. And you can have a bad show. It can be a one day or it can be several days. Sometimes it can be an entire week. It just happens. Mm -hmm. 
in boxing, there's only a very small number of fighters that have never lost a fight. I mean, you know, Mayweather, 50-0, that's an unbelievable record. Yes, it is. Most boxers encounter opponents that cause them problems in terms of defending themselves. They hit them, and they can't quite escape the blows. Right. But they know that that's just one fight. Yes. <laughs> it does yes. not define their career. No, it does not. You're right. And I think that that's the problem with artists who have a bad show and then go home and say, I'm worthless, I'm useless, I have nothing to say, I'm not a good artist, I'll never sell anything. You had success in the past. Yes. And you're going to have success in the future. It just happens that this one time, things did not work out. For whatever reason. It doesn't define you. What defines right. you is you. Yes. I tell people very often when uh, they criticize my work that my own value judgment of my work does not reside in their hands. Right. It resides in my hands. Right. I decide whether my work is good or bad. And if it's bad, I don't show it. And if it's good, I show it. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. It does not mean that it's not good. Right. I am in charge of my own assessment as far as my own self-worth. They're not. Now, they sure would like to, <laughs> you know, some of them, but that's not an option. I can't stop them from looking at the work or looking at me and saying negative things or nasty things, but I can sure control how I handle those things. Yes. And the way I handle it is, A, I don't buy into it. It is their opinion, and they have the right to have free speech, but I don't buy into it. And B, I never respond to negative commentaries. I don't argue the point. No. I'm the recipient of whatever it is they want to throw out, but I'm not commenting on it. I'm not responding. I'm just, if anything, I look at them and, and would say, I think you need to go look for an artist you like. Instead of saying bad things with an artist you don't like. <laughs> you know, it's time for you to move on. We've heard your rant. Right. <laughs> You've expressed your frustration. But you need to know that art is a matter of taste and not everybody has the same taste. And for as many that don't like it, there's a whole lot more that like it. And that's the way it is. We are not in the business of pleasing everybody. Just like in boxing, you're not in the business of knocking out everybody. You can't. There's going to be fights that are easy. There's going to be fights that are very challenging. You have to be ready for all of that. Right. And that's the preparation that matters. That's preparing yourself mentally, not just in terms of having good work and having all the gear and all the equipment and all of that. Mental preparation. What do you do if you have an art show and you sell nothing or you sell very little? What do you do if you work really hard with a customer, you bend over backwards to please them, and they walk? Yes. I mean, it has happened to right. us. Right. Well, you said... In the previous episode that John said, go out and have a good meal. Go out and have yeah. a nice dinner. Tomorrow is a new day, yeah. a new beginning. And you don't really know why they're not buying, and it may not have anything to do with you whatsoever. Correct. I remember at the Grand Canyon, there was a lady one time that asked us how much an unframed print was, and she misunderstood the price. And she had us unframed, all sort of prints, that were not available unframed. And then when we tallied up the price and told her, she jumped up and down and said, oh my God, I thought it was... A dollar print, not a thousand dollar print. And she did not buy anything. And right. we had to reframe everything. Yes. <laughs> and then after that, we had the policy that we don't unframe anything unless you pay us first. <laughs> but I mean, if we had decided that this was enough, you know, enough is enough, we we're going to stop selling right there and then. I mean, where would we be? Right. We would have quit right there. We would have. Yeah. And sometimes you work. Hours with a customer trying to decide on one piece, you know, what size, whether it's going to be shipped or not, at what time it's going to be shipped, how it's going to be paid. And then they look at you and they say, you know, I need to think this more and I'll be back. And they never buy anything. Mm -hmm. What can you do? That's not the end of your career because you lost one sale. No, it Regardless isn't. of how large the sale might be. Right. It's I one agree. sale. If you have a business that is dependent on closing every single sale to survive or to just make a profit, you don't have a business. Right. You have a liability. Because the next person that walks in, that's unsure, that can't be convinced to buy, is basically going to put you out of business, potentially. Yes. You, you can't have that. You, no, you, you have cannot. to have the resilience and the cash flow to just absorb whatever ridiculous thing might happen. Now, of course, if it happens over and over and over again, if you can't close any sale, then that's a different problem. You need to go and learn the proper skills. Yes. But if it happens occasionally and... Uh, That's normal. Right? A few percents mm -hmm. of the total sales, it's totally normal. 
It is. I think to me, you know, the issue with students that have got discouraged and quit completely is really that they did not contact us to tell us what happened. Because to this day, we still wonder what happened. It's almost like they have this dirty secret. Right. And you just wonder what that secret can be because there's only so many things that people can throw at you. I and know. we got them all, pretty much. Right. I mean, what do you think it is that an artist can hear and get completely discouraged to the point of quitting? Just somebody that said that they didn't think whatever they said about their artwork was true or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's probably that their artwork is worthless and they gave that assessment in one way or another. It can come in Yeah, that ways. it's not worth that much or... I think w- one of the things that boxing trainers tell their fighters when they have this kind of issue, you know, when they get defeated and they are really down on themselves, is that they have to remind themselves of why they do this. And not just the fact that they trained hard, that they were prepared, that uh, they did everything they had to do to win. They have to remind themselves why they do this. And what they say is that most of them, they have no idea why they do it. And I think that's the same with artists. I think you're right. Why do you do this? Yeah, because when it happened to me, you know, with that lady that had us on frame everything, or with customers that you work on for a long time, and then they walk away telling you some ridiculous excuse, I always went back and thought, why am I doing this? You know, right. And that's usually the, end, the question I'm asking myself. Why am I doing this? I remind myself I'm doing this because I want to make a living doing what I love. Right. That's why, as opposed to doing a living doing what I don't love. <laughs> you know? And I think that's important because... When somebody walks, like you said, and you've done everything that you can do, you fall back on that, you know, that... Well, I do, right. but it's not common. No, but I think that's very important. Well, it's crucial because that's the thing that's going to keep you in the game. Right. Let's go back to the boxer example. Van asks himself after losing a fight, why I do this? And he starts to say, oh, I'm not doing this to get pummeled. I'm not doing this to lose fights, you know. I'm not doing this to be insulted or ridiculed in front of my home crowd, booed, told by professionals in the business that I'll never get anywhere, that I'll never be world champion, that I'll never amount to anything, that Muhammad Ali was much better than me by a margin of 90 to 1. Right. I mean, if that's the reasons that he comes up with, he's going to quit immediately. He's going to go to the bar, get drunk, and put his boxing gloves in the garbage can and move on. Yeah. But if he says to himself, I'm doing this because I have very unique skills that can get me to the world title, you know what? I'll be back in the gym the next morning. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people listen to you when you say that. For example, somebody saying, you know, I've got the same skills as Muhammad Ali. I just uh, need to learn the skills to put them to good use. Right. They say, well, you're pretentious. No, you're not pretentious. You have confidence. Right. <laughs> and that's one of the problems that artists have. If they do what I say, which is tell themselves, I do this because I want to make a living at this and because I have very high-level skills that I want to share with people. I want customers to enjoy the beautiful photograph that I'm able to create. Not everybody can do that. This is personal to me. I'm as good as the best photographers in the business. I just want to express my talents, you know, and it will take time. People look at you and say, well, isn't that pretentious? Well, that's another problem because now you're dealing with that and you have to handle it in one way or another. Right. And you have to be able to tell people, listen, I'm not pretentious. I'm confident. Mm-hmm. Pretentiousness and arrogance is claiming to be able to do things you cannot do. That's correct. I can do these things. I just had a bad day. Right. Give me a break. Right. And Everybody you has a bad coming day. coming to me and telling me that I'm arrogant when I'm actually trying to bring myself up, right? Right. To pick myself up is not helpful. So you know what? Why don't you move on? You and I don't have to talk anymore. You're out. <laughs> yeah. We're done here. Goodbye. Yeah. We are no longer friends because <laughs> right. I don't need a friend, quote unquote, that's going to push me down further. Exactly. That's another level of skill. And yes. it shows the challenge really at work here. Right. Because unlike boxing, you don't have a trainer behind you that can step up and push the other guy else and say, leave him alone. He's having a hard time like that. Don't tell him on top of that that he's arrogant. He's not, and I'm here to, you know, I'm going to punch you out if you do. Right. right. You right. don't have that. No, you don't. You are on your own. Instead you... of a trainer, you have a bunch of other artists that are laughing their heads off saying, well, I had a good day. Right. You know, actually, I right. kicked ass. I sold more today than I have in the last five years. Have a cookie. You know, I don't understand why you're selling nothing. I mean, they were buying like crazy. Right. This is the best right. show. The audience was fantastic. You must not be made for this. Right. 
oh, you didn't sell anything? I had a line yeah. for hours. <laughs> yeah, Alfredo that came to me after I lost a sale and said, I don't have a cookie. Right. Oh. And I told him, I said, you know, take your cookie and put it where you think you should put it because I don't need that. Right. And actually, it made me so angry that I decided That was to, a turning uh, point. Yeah, it was a turning it point. It was I'm a like, turning you know, point. There's a number of things that he does in terms of sales that I don't do. And I've been holding back to do them. And because I can do them. I did not really know if I should or not. But you know what? After the cookie incident, I'm doing that. <laughs> exactly. And one of them was to offer a discount for several prints. Multiple prints. Multiple prints, which yes. he did. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to, but it was costing me a lot of sales. He was selling more prints than me on that particular size. And after he made the cookie remark, I went, took a pen, put the new sign with the price discount. And immediately we started selling just as many as he did. Right, you yeah, did, yeah. immediately. Immediately. It was, the only difference was the price. And I heard yeah. customers saying to each other, well, they're the same price, and I like his better, so I'm coming over here. And all of a sudden, people were walking over to our booth. And he was livid. He was. I mean, he could not control himself. He, I think he just went in a corner and read the newspaper for the rest of the day. He never should have said, have a cookie. Well, they say that the best remedy, <laughs> the best remedy for depression is, is victory, you know, yes. success. And that's really something important. If you don't quit and you come back and you correct whatever went wrong, because there may be things that went wrong, but right. you did not do right, you're most likely to be successful and you overcome the depression. Because the best remedy for depression is success. It is. The remedy for depression is not going to the bar and drinking yourself into oblivion and then quitting that's the recipe for more depression. It's for going deeper into it. It is. I and, agree. and depression is a big issue with artists. I think it's probably just as important as feeling naked. I mean, what is the next step after you feel naked if you don't do anything about it? It's probably depression. I would say it is, yes. I mean, we haven't kept up with that artist that told us that. I wanted to go back and talk to him some more, but I wasn't sure that it was a good idea or not. So I left it alone, and then we had things to do. We could not find the time to go back. But I think that, let's say, he had overall, during that three-month show, a bad experience, and he sold very little or nothing. What's the next step for him? Not doing any more shows. Probably depression to start right. with. People don't necessarily quit right away, <laughs> unfortunately. They first go into depression. Right. And then they decide to quit, or sometimes just the whole thing falls apart because they don't keep up with it. Or they just make a decision that they're not going to yeah. sell their work anymore. So it's all an important subject. Because I think with that particular artist, he was actually going to make the decision whether or not he wanted to continue selling his work based on how he did at that show. Yeah, well, if that's so, how he's going to make his decision, I can tell you right away what it's going to be. Right. He's not going to do it again. Right. But it's a bad way of making a decision. It is. It's it like is. picking your first fight with Mike Tyson and after you lose, deciding whether you want to continue or not. I mean, of course you're going to lose. <laughs> you know, you're out of your league. He was out of that league. That show was too big for him. It, it had too many experienced artists that had done it for years, that new salesmanship in and out. Oh, yes. It's one of the first art shows, if not the only one to this day, where I have seen a selling booth. Right. In a show. I've never right. seen a selling booth in any show. You remember? Yes. It was one of the painters. He has it every year. He does. And I even told him, I said, well, I have to congratulate you on the fact that you have a selling booth. And he looked at me and he said, well, I can see you know about marketing and salesmanship. Yes. And I was like, uh, well, I guess I gave myself out here because obviously I knew the terms. Right. Most people would walk into this room not realizing what it is, thinking it's just another part of the display. Right. But it has a couch, it has spotlighting, it has a big area where you display the artwork they're considering. Private. It's private. It has a yes. door or a curtain. A curtain. It's a selling booth. It is. When you walk in, you're supposed to walk out with a receipt. Right. The artist is first going to work out with your credit card, mm -hmm. and then you're going to work out with everything. Right. That's the idea here. It's not a display area. No. It's not for you to browse. <laughs> no, it is not. And I have never seen a selling booth outside of that show. I mean, I've seen selling booths in galleries. Almost every gallery has one. Yes. But in an art show, I've never seen it. Because most artists would not, A, know what is a selling booth, 
And B, if they know about it, they have to dedicate a pretty sizable amount of their selling space for that. They do. And that means that in that room, they better make up for the loss of display space. Right. So they have to make good use of that room and conduct sales in there. Otherwise, they're just wasting And it space. can't feel too cramped either. And you have no. to have a certain distance away from the piece. And there's a lot of things here that are taken into consideration. Right. It has to be big because you don't take somebody in a selling booth to sell an 8 by 10 Right. <laughs> right. You take them into there to buy a 40 by 50 or 50 and by 60 And you had a comfortable couch in yeah. there. It I, better be big yes. because otherwise it doesn't require people sitting down and looking at the artwork and talking to you for half an hour. Right. It doesn't require that. Right. I mean, personally, I like selling booths because, uh, first of all, it's relaxing. It and is. second, you have the full attention of the salesperson. Right. <laughs> you know? It's an intimate situation. Yeah. The first yes. thing I say, you know, because we, we play the game. If we go to a gallery and they have a selling booth and they want to know if they can show it to us in the little private area, I always say yes. And uh, Well, why not? It's yeah. a wonderful experience. And I always tell them, I say, you know what? It feels nice to sit down say, and admire artwork. And, you know, whether you buy something or not, it's completely irrelevant. There's always an easy way out. What I do is I tell, if I'm not sure if I want to buy it or not, is I tell the salesperson, you know what? This was great. Thank you so much. Now, let me look around and see if there's one that I really, really want to take home with me. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, this one, I like it, but I don't want to take it home with me. It's all a good experience. Right. You know? uh, so, in a sense, we are easy customers, you know, for salespeople. But uh, we also have experience and we have control over our emotions because I think that that eventually the feeling naked thing is probably best summed up by saying that you're going to feel that way if you have no control over your emotions. Right. None whatsoever. I mean, it's like walking into a store and having no control over your emotions. You're going to buy everything or you're going to dislike everything. Yes. A lot of people, when it comes to actually being a customer, are afraid to walk into high-end stores. Because they have no control over their emotions. They tell us. I tell them, go into a high-end store because they sell luxury. That's what fine art is. And you'll learn how luxury is sold. And they say, oh, God, but if I go in there, I'm afraid I'm going to buy whatever. Walk out with something that I will regret. It's not going to happen if you're in control of your emotion. Right. (laughs) If you have no control over them, then yes. (laughs) And just because you buy doesn't mean you lost control of your emotion. That means you acted on something that you like, but... Having control over your emotion is is very different from buying something. Oh, yes, I agree. And I think that that's the problem with artists. Emotions run their lives. Yes. I actually tell people once in a while that what makes me successful, which is being very emotional, can also make me unsuccessful because emotions can work against you in business. They can. And I think we see that firsthand when you have artists that come to you and tell you they feel naked in front of customers or quit their business, quit selling fine art because they've been unsuccessful. They are emotions that run amok. These emotions are controlling their lives. And if they don't take a hold of it, it's going to continue running their lives forever, probably. I agree. So an interesting subject and uh, part two of uh, selling fine art in 2018. And uh, we'll stop there for today. But again, like I said yesterday, if this is something you're interested in learning, we're here. We know how to do this. We have control of our emotions. We're professionals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do this for a living. And, and we can and make we it enjoy fun. it. We enjoy it, yeah. That's very important. We really enjoy it. Not many people enjoy teaching how to sell fine art. Actually, a lot of people don't teach how to sell fine art because it's a subject we'd rather leave alone. It's right. a touchy subject for a lot of people because they are not very good at it. And so the last thing they want is tell people how to do it. Yes. I mean, why would you teach something that you're not good at? Right. There's no reason, right? And so we teach it because we are good at it. We know how to handle it. To this day, we have had so much experience that we haven't had a question from a student that we can't answer. That's correct. We notice that one In time. In the selling process. In the, about yes. selling, yeah. That yes. we uh, get a lot of questions from students that do consulting with us. And one day I told you, I said, do you remember one of the questions that we could not answer? And we couldn't. No. I'm not saying we've seen everything. I hope we don't. But we've seen so much that it's unlikely that uh, you would have a question or a problem that we don't know how to fix. Right. But just in case, you can test us. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can get us in touch with us, throw us your question. Spend and, all day uh, in the studio here. Yeah, and see if we can answer it or not. You know? 
Most likely we can, but you never know, you know. And so if you think uh, you can stump us, you know, we can play that game, you know, uh, stumped the artist, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, but all of that to say that learning how to sell is crucial to being successful at this. And learning how to control your emotion is just as crucial. And that comes from building up your skills, you know, learning how to sell professionally, learning how to control your emotion, learning how to be in control, to not feel naked. And, and uh, asking yourself, why am I doing this? And coming up with an answer. Yes. That's the most important. I think so. Yeah. Because if you're doing this for the wrong reasons, you're going to stop at the first problem. You're going to be stopped by the first difficulty. Yes. Yeah. You'll quit. If I wasn't doing this because I love it, I would have stopped a long time ago. But I don't see anything that I would rather do, so I'm doing this uh, for that reason. It's something that I have a passion for. Otherwise, if you have no passion, if you're just doing it because whatever reason, uh, superficial, uh, is at work, it's eventually going to be the end. The minute there is a challenge. Right. Yeah. We've seen it, and I think we'll see it again. So don't quit. Find the reasons why you want to do it. And if you have problems, if you need help, if you we're need training, here. we're here. And uh, we are good. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening. And uh, we hope to have you again on our next podcast.